Hello, welcome to another episode of Consider This. My name is Justin Ebert, and I am in the studio today with Ryan Vincent and Drew Moss. We are going to be looking at the Gospels and discussing why there are differences in some of those. Does this mean that the Gospels aren't reliable? Were they bad historians recording things that didn't happen, leaving things out for their own purposes? Or is there a beauty in the differences of these Gospels? We hope this is a benefit to you. Here we go. Gentlemen, it is 2-2-2-0-2-2 on a Tuesday. Oh. We're starting this at 2.36. It's I feel two, like we're 14 minutes late. No, it's 2.22 and 22 seconds. No one knows. We, it is 2.22 and 22 seconds. Maybe. Somewhere. It's 5 o'clock somewhere, so is it 2.22? It is 5 o'clock nowhere. Hmm. Think yeah. about that, Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> Man, we just offend a lot of famous people on our podcast. And I know they all listen. LeBron's been uh, shamed yeah. here. Just Gunker. Gunger's been shamed here. Judas. And Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> and Jimmy Buffett. Well, that's okay. Um, I've got a question for you. All right. Has there ever been a time in your life where somebody or a group of somebody thought you were lying, but in fact you were not, and you could not convince them otherwise? Mm. Ever. Have, ever have you ever? No, I really, you sent that question. I really couldn't think of a time. Now, there are times in my past where I, they thought I was lying, and I definitely was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you think I'm lying? Well, you're right, but I'm still going to be angry about it. But Anne Ryan could not convince them otherwise. <laughs> Just like, to finish the rest of the question. Yes, exactly. um, okay, so I try to think about this. I'm sure there's some stuff there. I'm sure there's been a time. But the one that came to mind is actually I have a story of my great grandpa. Uh, my, my grandma, so his daughter told me the story that they went to, uh, they went to the zoo and he got in pretty big trouble because as this pretty lady walked by at the zoo, the parrot in the parrot exhibit whistled at her. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. yes. And she, uh, she kind of let him know that she's not happy about that. He's like, it wasn't me. It was the parrot. And she's like, whatever. And I, I think she turns around and right on cue, the parent whistles again. <laughs> and he just got ripped into and had no way of like convincing this lady that he was oh, not that's great. whistling at her in front of his own children. But yeah. There's a zookeeper so. out there that was just dying yep. laughing. Just <laughs> this is laugh. exactly why I trained that parent to whistle. Yep. <laughs> okay, here's another one. Is it ever okay to twist the truth for your advantage? Ethics question. Is it uh, ever I don't okay? know if it is okay to twist it for my advantage. It seemed okay when Jonathan lied to his father about David's location. Okay. Uh, I In parenting, yes, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hold on. Uh, Hudson earmuffs. Yeah. Ella earmuffs. What have you told them? Tw- do you a, are you a Santa Claus? I'm trying to pro- think appreciator? of... <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of I've like twisted, but I, you know, I know that there are things I leave out in my answers. Oh, or yeah. that there are yep, times yep. where, I, you know what I mean? Those yeah. kinds of things where I might give an answer, but I'm not giving the whole answer. And, and some of that is... You know, some of that might be for my advantage. Some of that might be, for example, when your kid asks you, where do babies come from? Mm. 
and you just go, I True should Honest probably... Podcast, would you tell us where? <laughs> <laughs> um, changing the theme of this, uh, the topic of this episode real quick. Um, no, like there are things where it's like, honestly, it's not just that I don't want to have the awkward conversation. I mean, if it's, if they're 12 and asking that and I'm avoiding it, then I'm, then I'm avoiding the awkward conversation. There's sometimes though where it's like at two, this might actually be more confusing for you to try to explain. <laughs> yeah. Giving yeah. you the whole picture only confuses and mm-hmm. makes things worse, right? And so there's some things where actually strategically I'm not telling my kids everything or I tell them in a certain way yep. that is still true but may not be giving them uh, the, the full paradigm yep. in that moment. Maybe sure. giving it from a certain paradigm that is probably the most helpful for them yeah. and what I want them to know and the direction I want them to go in that moment. So. I've actually had to, to – I've caught myself on occasion telling my kids when they're wanting something in a badgering way that I will think about it later when I have already decided that yeah. the answer is yeah. probably no. And I've had to, I've had to really like stop myself and say, actually, no, I'm just trying to like delay you being upset with me. <laughs> and so I either have to say no now, or we will talk about it later. Is uh, which is a true statement. Yeah, we will talk about this later. You're not going to like we where will, it's going to go. We'll talk about the answer I have already formulated in my mind <laughs> later. So, so yeah. all of that is to set up a conversation on the Gospels. Uh, the antagonist might say the authors of the Gospels are twisting whatever happened around Jesus' life for their own advantage. And therefore, it either contains errors or contradictions. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it shouldn't be trusted as a reliable source. Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of the extreme liberal view of looking at some of the differences which are there in the gospels obviously as we read the scriptures we see incredible unity we see these beautiful portraits of who jesus is with different stories and um, not every story is included in each gospel and sometimes they're not even presented in the same way and yet all three of us are sitting here because as we looked at these differences, we still believe these things to be reliable, that the Jesus of Scripture is actually a real person who's worth centering our life upon to giving up everything to follow. So we're, it's not as if we're unaware and somebody's going to gotcha into uh, seeing that there's differences in mm-hmm. the accounts of the Gospels. And so what do you think? How do we explain some of these differences? Were they bad historians? Were they intentionally trying to twist things for their own advantages? Um, is the gospel reliable if they're not all giving the same accounts? We're going to go over some specific examples, but just at first glance, as somebody's coming to you with this question, why are there differences in the gospels? Here's what I would, uh, you know, to if I was going to be like uh, Jim Johnson and say it in a more I don't know what you say, controversial, antagonistic way. You know, I might say actually, um, in answer to your question, are they twisting the the, the narratives to their own advantage? Yes, um, but it depends on what you mean by the word twisting, which mm-hmm. twisting sounds like corrupting, and I don't mean that. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I I think I would have to scrap that word twist um, and say now they're not twisting because they're not manipulating it, they're not shifting it, but to their advantage. Uh, Yes, and again, if you if you mean advantage in the right way, like do you mean advantages in for their own personal benefit? Um, then no. If you mean advantage for like the sake of what they're trying to convey, 
if mm-hmm. if you mean the the lesson that they're trying to teach, and I know even as I'm saying this, there are people listening going, whoa, 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 this sounds really <laughs> like uh, I did not know. You know, Drew doesn't trust the Bible. Or they, no, I completely trust the Bible and the authority of it and the truth of it. I believe that it is the inspired and errant word of God. Um, but I do believe in, in ways that we'll, ex- we'll, we'll talk through here in a little bit, that the, that the Bible writers, the gospel writers, use the stories that they tell, tell them in certain ways to convey key truths about, about Jesus and about God and those kinds of things. Yeah, and I, I, I think one thing that, uh, that I usually go to out of the gates as I ask uh, whoever's asking this question, what kind of document do you think Matthew, Mark, mm-hmm. Luke, and John are, mm-hmm. and if they say historical doc, like his, like a, a history type thing, I would say yes, but not like a historical textbook. Um, although there would be some similarities, and usually I'll get to the point where I say I think them to be more uh, better described as theological biographies. They are biographies with a theological agenda, and that That's does good. not mean that the agenda is. Um, corrupt. It doesn't mean that the agenda is trying to sell someone a bill of goods. It means that the stories are being shaped in a way to convince somebody of something very specific. It's not just a listing out of key events and key characters and key dates and key locations. That's good. It's shaping a story to prove, um, to, to convince someone of something. Yeah, so there's a little bit of this our modern questions are different than the things those people were trying to answer. And so we're kind of, we're, we're two ships that aren't necessarily coming together. We're passing each other a little bit. Our modern questions, post enlightenment questions and our concern about exactness is different than what they were maybe concerned of with authoritative and true. Yeah. Um, even in terms of, uh, even in terms of what they're trying to, to portray as you've mentioned of what is the thing we're ending with and how are we going to get there and what uh how is this document going to do that yeah Uh, Yeah. if a history we we think chronology yeah we're in and and they aren't necessarily not caring about timing but that i promise you that is not the primary thing that's going through any ancient's mind as they're trying to to look at some of the the people or the events that are being recorded yeah I also think that another, maybe even important similarity between modern historiography and theological biographies from the ancient world is, I don't know about you guys, I like when I was growing up, I grew up in Oklahoma. In my history classes, my American history classes, um, the facts are not presented in a neutral way on the American Civil War. Mm -hmm. It is clear from the beginning of all of these events being described that the... uh, the historian or the editors of this particular textbook are not sympathetic in any way to the Southern cause. And I'm not saying therefore we should be sympathetic to the Southern cause. I'm saying they are, they are, they are taking details and shaping a narrative in a much more linear sense than ancient sources, but they're shaping a narrative to get the reader to have an opinion on the parties involved. 
it's very rarely just presenting information. Yeah, it's not like they've taken every account of everything everyone said or did at that time and just putting it out there blankly. And many no. times they're choosing to not include certain things. And in sh- times they're even giving interpretations of things that happened yep. or things that people mm-hmm. said, right? And that's a little bit of the, the similarities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So one of the books that actually you made me think of was Christobiography by Craig Keener. And he mm-hmm. talks a lot about, well, part of the reliability of it is because when you evaluate it in its own environment, in its own context, in its own time, with what it was trying to do with an intentional way, again, it, it's trying to present something that is a little bit different, a little bit new. It's not just a biography. It's not just a history. It really is this, we're trying to convince people that this is the Christ, the Son of God. We're, we're trying to lead you somewhere. Yeah. We're not just presenting facts, though we are. We, I, They do believe they're presenting truths about who Jesus is and yeah. what he said and what he did, but not just so you know, mm-hmm. but that you truly know. That's, right? I mean, that that's John's believe. closing, one of his closing statements. It's not right at the end, but he tells you why he wrote the book, so that you would believe. Yes. Yeah, and, he t- and also there in the end, like, uses that phrase, like, if I if someone was to write down everything Jesus did, I suppose the books, the word world could not hold the books wherever. In other words, there's so many things, but he says, but these things are written so that you may believe. In other words, John's saying like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff Jesus did that I did not include in here. I specifically included the things that moved you towards the, uh, towards the truth about Jesus that I wanted you to see. And so it's not that he's leaving off. It's not like major things. It's not like John's going, yeah, Jesus also did a bunch of bad stuff that I'm not telling you about. Yeah. That's not what yeah. he's saying. He's saying, but there's facts. And we know because we can go read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are very different from John. And John's going, I intend to, there's, there's a bunch of stories that Jesus did and some others men- mentioned them. But I, I didn't mention those stories because I had a specific thing I wanted you to see about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so I, I specifically put in what I wanted, what kind of helped you see those yeah. things more clearly. So in the sense, it's like you're pulling the rug out from under the skeptic. It's the, it's own, the text itself is saying, I'm not trying to do what you're wanting. And actually, yeah. the thing that you're saying discredits us is the thing we were trying to do in the first place. Yeah, I'm not like, trying to give you de- every little detail of everything that ever happened in his life. And so if that's what you're asking for, you're asking for the wrong thing from mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's look actually at a couple of these examples, a couple of times in which there are objective differences in the Gospels about things that happened. So, for instance, the first one, um, we'll, we'll just go through textually uh, in the genealogies. The Matthew, the very first Gospel of the New Testament, is a genealogy. Matthew's recording this genealogy for a reason. He chose to put a genealogy in there for a reason. Mark doesn't have one. Luke has one, but not till later on in his book. John kind of has one. Uh, (laughs) Not really, kind of. Very different. Uh, But Matthew includes, let's look at David. So if if you're opening up your Bible, open up with us to Matthew chapter 1. And if you look through the genealogy, get to verse 6. Jesse fathered King David, and David fathered Solomon. Okay, that's we can probably all remember that particular story in the Old Testament. But you skip over to Luke, Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 3. And we read through this genealogy. Which is going at, from Jesus backwards. Mm-hmm. The, the direction's different. Yep, so. the direction's different. Uh, Look at the end of verse 31. 
we have, so let's start the very last, Son of David. And right before that, we would expect to maybe see Son of Solomon because that's what Matthew said, but we don't. We see Son of Nathan. Mm. Okay, that's a, that is a difference. Those are different sons, by the way. Solomon and Nathan are not the same person. Now, that, that actually does happen a different place. In the genealogy, you have, in the Old Testament, two names for one person sometimes, mm-hmm. and so the different names are used, so that happens at another place. But here, this is a different person. Nathan and Solomon are not the same people. So are these genealogies discredited? Who's right? Who's wrong? And, again, see, the skeptic says, well, obviously these are different. Obviously these are wrong. Do you have any thoughts, or what are the options out there? Well, first of all, it's important to note that this is the glaring one because we all know Solomon, but there are so many other differences between them. Mm. These are not even, like, they they don't begin in the same place. Luke goes back to Adam. Uh, Matthew starts with Abraham. Why? Uh, I think that, that, one, Matthew has a very specific structure to his, a 14 by 14 by 14 structure. Mm-hmm. And he is, I think Matthew is more consor- concerned with like the royal lineage mm-hmm. of Jesus than Luke. Mm-hmm. Which we believe the 14 has to do with like the, the numeric, how do you say that? The numeric uh, name value of David. Yeah, right? David uh, basically D-U-D would be kind of. Dawid. Uh, Dawid would be the transliterated letters of his name. Those letters have um, numerical values. They don't have numbers in Hebrew as much as they use letters to represent numbers, and they well, add up to 14. Well, and going back to your point earlier, there's a theological significance to audience. Yeah. So if Matthew's primary audience is trying to reveal to a Jewish context, like this is the one we've been expecting, this is the prophet, this is the new Moses, this is the fulfillment of Israel's intentional intended purpose, yeah. um, it'd be good for them to see it from Abraham, their father of their nation. Uh-huh. Whereas Luke, what's his primary audience? Probably yes. a Gentile. And let's go back further than Abraham to Adam. Yeah. Right. Adam is the father of all the nations. Yeah. And so yeah. if this is a book for all the nations to know they're saved by this one man named Jesus, it'd be it would be an interesting part of the genealogy. Yeah. So real quick, and then we can kind of maybe give some answers as to possible reasons why. Here are the differences between the genealogies. Um, we already talked about different beginning spots. Matthew has 41 names in his section. Luke has 57 names. Um in the period between David and Jesus, only two names are in common at all. So once you get to the, 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 the line of David, that's big second Samuel seven, you know, you'll always have a king on the throne and an heir on the throne. The, both Matthew and Luke diverge a lot, except for Zerubbabel and is it Shealtiel? They both have. Everything else is different all the way down to Jesus. And so what do we do with that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, there's specific times where it says son of this person, then son of that person. And you, they should be lining up, but they're not. Well, actually, there's just a gap. You skipped a, four, few, a few generations where it's there is still a connection in the lineage. Yeah. But you just didn't give all the names. So, th- again, this isn't a complete lineage, either one of these. It's, yeah. They're kind of giving specific names for specific purposes and choosing how and when to use that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So hearing the word, the phrase son of could, could also be understood as descendant of. Mm-hmm. So I could be the son of Philip. That's my grandfather's name. Mm-hmm. Or you could say the son of Carl. That's my dad's name. Mm-hmm. And in this kind of way of do- giving a genealogy, both of those would be accurate statements. Sure. So yeah. then what are some of the answers for that specific one? What could be uh, a possibility for the Nathan Solomon discrepancy? 
Ryan, you're going to have to pull out Daryl Bach on this one. Cause <laughs> I, uh, I did bring Daryl. Uh, yeah, you have to help on that one. So Daryl Bach is a, is a New Testament scholar. He, he specializes in Luke. A lot of us really appreciate his work. So he's, he doesn't really give his thoughts, but he gives some, um, some of the options as to what the explanation could be. First of all, he says, some argue that the two, two accounts cannot be reconciled. That would be kind of the skeptical mm-hmm. view. You can't fix it. They don't go together. This is one more bit of evidence that yes. shows why the Gospels aren't reliable. He says a popular explanation, though, uh, that can try to reconcile these two is that Matthew gives Joseph's genealogy while Luke gives Mary's. That's, he said that's a very popular way. Um, that's probably what I would, if you put me into a corner, that's probably where I would land. Yeah, especially because he's coming out of Luke 2, which has Mary's Magnificat, and like you have really have this emphasis on the Mary account. And so he said Luke could be focusing on the the Mary, on the, the line of the mother. Um, Bach cautions that. He says one concern with that is that that would be altogether unprecedented in the ancient world. Right. Mm-hmm. He's like, you don't do genealogies based on mother. Although which, Matthew does have four women in his. And which kind of proves part of what the Gospels are trying to do. Okay, Mark was supposed to be the Gospel of who? Peter. Peter. Mm-hmm. He like brings Peter through the mud the whole time. <laughs> and yeah. it's the other thing is like, who were some of the first eyewitnesses to see Jesus? The women. Would they have mm-hmm. been counted as trustworthy eyewitnesses? Yeah. By that know? same, by that same objection, Bach would have to say then like some of our resurrection material right. is suspect. Right. And that's kind of what the gospels are saying. Like you, you have this standard and we're blowing it up. Jesus regularly blew up your understanding of, mm-hmm. of all of this. And so one of the, the thoughts I or not thought somebody taught me was it could be when they say son of Joseph, that Jesus was son of Joseph. Actually, he was son of Joseph in the, in a legal sense in his time. And Joseph could be the son of Heli who could be Mary's dad by law. Yep. Yep. That's actually in the, in the records that very well could be Mary's lineage. Um, another option that Bach gives is that they're both Joseph's line, but one line focuses on Joseph's like, the actual fathers and the other one focuses on who is the royal descendant in each group. So he could be jumping to uncles and mm-hmm. you still have like uh, your royal by relation, but it may not be your biological father. It could be the, the way the royal line kind of zigzags through your tree. Mm-hmm. And so Bach says that's, that's another popular way of looking at these both possibly being Joseph's line. Just one is parents and the other one is the royal line. Okay. So I would say, there are options out there mm-hmm. that doesn't mean because these genealogies are different, we just have to punt it. And I would say I, I cannot uh, imagine that Luke was unaware of Matthew's genealogy. And I think that Luke is, is, I mean, he did his homework. He says as much in his, in his, in both introduction and then at a number of points throughout his, his gospel, he gives unnecessary details that I believe are like the ancient version of footnotes. He's like establishing his sources and saying, what I'm saying is credible because I gave you the name Cleopas instead of the other guy. And it's probably because Cleopas is still alive. And go ask him. Like, this is where I got this information. And I, so I, I don't think that Luke would have been um, completely, he may not have had a copy of Matthew's gospel. I don't know how quickly that was being circulated, but I don't think he's unaware of the genealogy and yet he chooses to move it and he chooses to run it backwards and he chooses to use different names. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it, it seemed, and then the church sees fit to propagate both of these as valuable things. And I'm like, okay, Paper wasn't cheap. Paper didn't exist. Papyrus wasn't cheap. Vellum wasn't cheap. You didn't employ scribes to make copies of things that weren't of value. 
and it's and yeah, trustworthy. It's just it's it's funny that people in our modern age asking modern questions would think, "See, look, we found this thing which you were unaware of, church, that, <laughs> that, that somehow nobody in the last two thousand years, if it was yeah. even possible, to destroy all the documents, could have been like, well, that's embarrassing. Let's get that thing out of there. <laughs> How did we miss this? <laughs> Pull a Jefferson. Okay, here's another one: the temptation of Jesus. Okay. So Matthew 4, 1, Luke 4, 1. Do, 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 do. <laughs> no difference there. Okay. Um, the temptation of Jesus, Matthew 4, 1 and Luke 4, 1. Okay. As you look through those accounts real quick, you don't, we don't need to read all the verses. Uh, what do you notice? What sticks out to you about these two accounts? Matthew's second temptation is Luke's third. Luke's third. <gasps> Second temptation is Matthew's third. Then this must not have happened. (laughs) I feel like you're drawing strong conclusions. Listen, you're a fraud. You need to find a new job. Go back to architecture, Ryan. (laughs) This is but this is weirdly comforting because that's how you treat me all the time. (laughs) I don't tell you you're a fraud. I just quote the office to you a lot. (laughs) So there's differences in the order. Okay. So again, one of these maybe. One of these is right and one of these is wrong, or are there other options out there? So the the three in in the order, and probably the one that you we're most familiar with is Matthew's order, just because it seems to make dramatically the most sense, mm-hmm. uh, which is that, that uh, Jesus is tempted to turn stones into bread, he's tempted to throw himself off the Temple Mount, and he's tempted to... The third one being he's brought up on a high mountain and sees all the nations, and if he'll just bow down and worship Satan, then he'll receive uh, all those nations. Yeah, it's like the cameras keep zooming out. Yes, yes. Yeah. That's that's Matthew's telling, and then Luke actually switches those last two, right, which uh, which is the temptation to receive the, all the nations of the world, and then it ends with the Temple Mount one. Um, and so... You know, which exactly is is which I don't know. I, I lean towards actually going. I, I think actually Matthew's probably telling what happened um, and that Luke, because he has this weird emphasis on the temple that runs through his um, through his book. He, he likes kind of this emphasis, um, this motif kind of running through of of a lot of stuff takes place at the temple. And 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 I think there's some focus in Jesus probably becoming the new version of that. And so I think that Luke um, knows how the story goes. Again, Luke Luke says he researches like crazy. And so it's not like he's just has no idea about these things. But but he he leaves the emphasis on that Temple Mount as as part of the way he ends that story. I think that that's part of what's going on Mm -hmm. there. And I've heard. it explained that uh, the, the connection to the temple is that Luke is driving into the next story where Jesus is going to um, get into a little tangle at the synagogue, which is kind of the rural extension of the temple. It's kind of carrying through um, some of that authority that comes through God's presence in the temple, uh, mediated through the, 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 um, the people living out lives according to the Torah, which was out away from Jerusalem mediated through the synagogue. And so I've heard that, that for that reason, Luke kind of is, um, he uses the temple as a bit of a transition into the following story thematically. Yeah. So the way Luke closes, opens and closes his gospel in the temple. Mm-hmm. His dude, mm-hmm. That's kind of where his scene with Zechariah 
uh, in the temple there. And, and then it says that the apostles were worshiping and meeting in the temple is kind of how it closes. And then early in the Acts, they, they're going into the temple courts as the new temples, mm-hmm. uh, human beings with the Holy Spirit dwelling in them and stuff. And so it does seem to be something that he's driving at there. But Okay, pause in the going through the actual text. For you personally, your faith, as you're reading the scriptures, as you're mm-hmm. studying the scriptures, both pre, either as you're becoming a Christian or as now that you are a Christian, pre-ministry, in ministry, as, as you're looking at some of these differences or, or noticing that within the Gospels there are different emphases that are happening, like, like Luke has an emphasis. Ma- mm-hmm. Matthew seems to have an em- emphasis. They're, they're, they're painting the same Jesus from different angles or with different portraits or maybe with different types of uh, crayons or Sharpies or whatever, <laughs> however you want to, whatever illustration you're going to use. Do you, or did you get nervous? Like, were you ever anxious about this? Did it really worry you? Did you really have to wrestle through this stuff? Or are you like, no, I've trusted the whole time. I have worked through these questions because I know people have them and I'm interested. Like how, how did it hit you in your walk? Uh, I think, trying to even kind of think of like when was this when was some of this stuff known to me um i think there's enough in me just kind of you know brought up in church and kind of trained to like trust god and his word that that doesn't just completely go oh no it's all it's all unreliable and 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 all that stuff so that i think that even when i was learning these things even though there are probably some times that it did make me nervous if i'm honest um I wanted to go look and find answers and, and, and see if I could figure out what's going on there. I, I think the biggest adjustment for me was from my views of, of inspiration and how the Holy Spirit worked. Mm. And so what it did is it upended some of that, but then brought me to, I think, a cooler place, which is I, I believed, I think at first in almost this like, that the apostles were like just human typewriters that God was just typing the message into or yeah, puppets. And and God is just like making them say the exact words that he wants them to say. No, put, put the there and then puts gospel there and then of, and then, you know, everything exactly how he wanted. He was just typing it in and they're just writing almost automatic. Um, and then I, as, as, I've grown and as I've learned, been able to see, actually know that, that yes, God is guiding them, enabling them to speak the truths he wants them to speak, but through their voice and through their lens and through their personality. And so that they're going to write things in different ways, depending on uh, who they are, their grammar, their uh, their own experience, their audience that they're going to. And I, I think God uh, is 100 percent great with that and and it's me learning to be great with that that i had to i had to come around and go oh okay it didn't work just like that it worked more like god is guiding these people and using their own styles and their own messages and those things to convey what he wants to convey that's what really needed to be kind of shaken and shifted in me hmm. but there were times where it it frustrated me early on now i i also and this this could be a, a difference to how people kind of come at these things is I didn't really read the Bible until I was like 19, 20. Um, so I I came to it with kind of a I, – I, I hadn't been sitting under like uh, parents who, who taught me to trust it and then kind of growing up in that. I kind of came to it as a college student. And um, so I brought a certain degree of skepticism, although – it quickly changed my mind to, in order to trust it. Um, there are times where it made me nervous, uh, but I mean, 
a lot of that was happening even in the context of Sunnybrook where I had people I could ask. Honestly, one of the things that really frustrated me the most was how Matthew uses prophecy. I couldn't get my mind around how I was like, can you make anything say anything and say that it's about Jesus? That's how I felt about Matthew for a while. And I, and I started to get some answers as uh, I began to consult resources and, um, it just showed me how little I knew about ancient literature actually. So there was a, as I encountered a lot of these things, I was, I was humbled as I stumbled upon a field of wisdom and knowledge that I didn't know existed. Mm -hmm. And so I had to learn that I can't read the Bible. Like I read my world history textbook. I had to learn that, you know, whatever the latest and greatest biography about Abraham Lincoln is the gospels are just different. There's some similarities. I had to learn all that. And then over time, as I started to put some of these pieces together and the well got deeper for me, the the tension between them actually encourages me. It's like if I were going to fake something, I would make it so smooth and polished. Yeah. I wouldn't leave it messy. And this feels messy at times. And that actually, to me, testifies to their validity. And And like Drew said, it gave me a bigger picture of the spirits work through in this case four different writers yeah across really probably like 30 actually 40 years mm -hmm. of writing yeah i think probably while i was young there was like a naive conservatism where i just accepted it like childlike faith mm -hmm. and there was kind of pat answers and easy harmonizations uh a guy named michael like I don't remember know how to say his name, Lycona or Lysona. I don't know. Lycona. Uh, Lycona. But he has a book on literally called Why Are There Differences in These Gospels? Mm -hmm. And he talks about that. You have these two, two extremes of there's differences, which means errors, which means contradictions, which means unreliable. Mm -hmm. And then you have the uh, night, you know, very conservative. Everything fits together perfectly. There's no difficulties here that we have to really figure out. Just trust it. Yeah. I probably lean more toward that side. I was younger, but as I began to see and understand more, I mean, it fueled me because I, I don't like not knowing. I mean, I've, I've put my whole life on the line here. I want to know that these things are trustworthy. And so while I lean toward being able to trust, I really did try to go down the rabbit hole. I, I could study this textual criticism all day. Yeah, it's I fascinating. Love it. I love it. I'm very interested by it in general. One way that I, I kind of introduce the idea to people is I would say, okay, in this room right now, there's four of us. That's a really convenient number. There's Justin, there's Drew, there's me, there's Steve over on the knobs and the switches. We could do this podcast. And then in a couple of days, somebody could come to us each individually and say, tell me what that podcast was about and tell me what happened in that room. And we, none of us would lie because we're not liars. We would all tell slightly different stories. And they would all be true. We'd leave certain things out that the other didn't think about. We would emphasize details that somebody else, I could say, and then Justin said, and it could have been Justin said, Andrew said, and then Justin said again, I'm not lying. I'm just emphasizing something different. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of what we see in the Gospels comes down to that basic principle playing out again across four men across 35 to 40 years of writing a story that happened in John's case 50 years beforehand. And I don't think any of them are lying. So there's one more question I have before we close this thing down. Were there two temple cleansings? <laughs> or was there one, Drew? This is the one I uh, <laughs> I kept my mouth shut in in staff meetings a couple weeks ago. Uh, 
because Jim was talking through this. This is the, you know, one of the big issues where, where people want to come at the Gospels is that the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, Luke, all record Jesus cleansing the temple at during the last week of his life in like the final chapters of their gospel. And John talks about Jesus cleansing the temple in John chapter 2. And, uh, and at the very, it seems like at the very outset of his ministry. And so there are, I mean, there are, there are a few different options. One is just, just to say John got it wrong. I guess you could say he got it right and the others got it wrong. But it's more likely if you're going to choose one to get it wrong, go with the three that agree and then, yeah. and then the one at the beginning got it wrong. Um, or there's, there's uh, you know, what Jim and, and most of the church holds to, and I, most really smart people hold to, and that is that actually there's two cleansings, that, that Jesus at two different times in history went in and cleansed the temple, um, once at the outset of his ministry and once at the end of his ministry. Um, and then actually, I, I kind of, although I, this isn't a hill I'll die on, and I, I'm, I think I could probably be moved back the other way, but I actually do kind of believe that there's one, um, largely because I have a hard time believing, um, I have a hard time believing the, the temple being the center of Judaism religiously, culturally, economically. I have a hard time believing that Jesus could go in and, and wreak havoc on that and not... Well, no, 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 you get out of here. Yes, we know what you did. Yes, and all they do is kind of wag their finger at him and be like, <laughs> you stop that, stop that now. And nothing happens to him, right? Where the synoptics <laughs> tell like it's does that, and then they're like, well, we got to kill this guy. They couldn't right then because all the people were around, but like, we're killing this dude. And before yeah. the week is over, he's dead. And I mean, a lot of people will kind of say, yeah, that's, all, that's a decent part of what kind of pushed it all over the edge was that, that uh, temple cleansing for Jesus. And so I, I kind of think that there was one, but I think John intentionally moves it to the front of his gospel because John is is teaching thematically and theologically mm-hmm. more than he is chronologically there. Yep. Um, you have in John, in the beginning of John, you see John will kind of walk through uh, four different institutions of Judaism that Jesus is, or of the culture at least, that Jesus is kind of um, replacing and overwhelming by who mm-hmm. he is, and then four festivals of Judaism that Jesus shows himself to be the yep. fulfillment of. Mm-hmm. And so like the John... Uh, the John 2, this, it, where he places the cleansing of the temple is right between uh, the wedding in Cana, mm-hmm. where John says that Jesus takes the Jewish vessels for ritualistic cleansing, and he fills those up with wine. And it seems to be this kind of indication that Jesus is taking the old Jewish traditions and replacing it with the, the, the like new kingdom wine, mm-hmm. with his new, the celebration of his presence, and fills it with something better. There's a new way to be clean, yeah. so they say. Yeah, and then... And then you have on the third, uh, on the other side of the temple cleansing, is you have this religious leader who's supposed to be—he's called the teacher of Israel, uh, Nicodemus. The rabbinical coming, system. Yeah, coming to Jesus and and him clearly not being able to grasp the things that Jesus has been able to teach and speak. And and so it seems like you see Jesus as the teacher of Israel. You see Jesus as the actual one with the knowledge of the scriptures, replacing that. And so it makes sense that you would put this. A narrative where Jesus finishes by saying, hey, destroy this temple and I'll build it in three days. And then it says, but he was speaking of his body. So you see Jesus replacing the Jewish ritual system. You see Jesus replacing the temple and you see Jesus replacing the Jewish rabbinical leaders yeah. um, all all in successive order right there. And, and, and that's why 
that's why I'm okay with John moving it there. I think yeah. if you asked John, now again, Jim and I think everybody else on the staff says, no, there's two cleansings, and I go, that's totally, I'll, you guys are smart, <laughs> and so I trust you too. But I, I really am okay with if you went to John, him going, no, there was, there was one, but I had a point I was making at the yeah. beginning about the way Jesus is fulfilling and replacing these things, and so I wanted to put it there. Yeah. You know? And the fourth, the fourth institution is the location of worship with the woman at yes. the well and yes. the mountain. Neither on Jerusalem or on this mountain here. Um, and, and he's getting at this idea that he's going to be actually yeah. the location of worship. You know what I mean? Be, so. it's worshiping spirit and truth. That's what he's looking for. Yeah. He's not looking yeah. for the place, either where you're from or where you're going. Yes. He's caring about whether you're worshiping in spirit yeah. and in truth, which is interesting. Yeah, we're getting into a new thing, but when he's talking to Nicodemus, you're going to be, need to be cleansed, renewed by water and spirit. Yeah. So much of this is I, I'm turning things upside down that you have in order to. That This is not actually the intended end of this so uh man one big thing i think taken away that i've learned from this study whether this conversation or conversations relating to it is the beauty of biblical inspiration of god breathing out the scriptures and using human authors and many times we we can put an emphasis too much on one or the other either too much divine too much humanity what these differences in the gospels do for me is to appreciate that god uses people like us humans mm-hmm. breathing people mess uh sending people to record mm-hmm. to write under the boundaries of his spirit he uses their intentionality and their creativity to allow them to put an emphasis on something mm-hmm. all of it boundaried by the holy spirit both in its content and maybe its emphasis, all driving toward the same thing, the glory of God, that we might believe in Jesus, that we might have the Spirit and dwell in us, that we might go and continue this work that Jesus planned and started. Yeah, and I mean, even just a practical thing. I mean, I've committed my life to to the book of the Bible, but committed to, if, if we're going to rank them, to four bigger books in the Bible, like the four, like the apex of Scripture is the story of Jesus. Mm. I, if I'm going to spend the rest of my life reading these books, I like that they kind of have some variety to them, you know? And, I mean, everybody's got a favorite gospel. And, I, and there's some of these things where I'm like, isn't it the providence of God kind of cool? What like, do you think Jesus' why do favorite we have- gospel is, Ryan? John. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Mark guy myself. But, uh, the, but yeah, it's, I mean, you've heard it kind of explained sometimes. Like, like if, if Jesus is, is a diamond or a jewel, then what the Gospels are doing is they're letting you turn that yep. and see, it, see him from different angles and see these different things. You're looking at the exact same diamond. They're not replacing it with another one, but they're giving you, they're letting you see in a greater depth and a greater detail because you get to see from four different angles yeah. these different things about Jesus, which I think is I think that is really fun. It's mm-hmm. cool to see the way they interact with each other and and lift up different aspects and sides to who Jesus is and what he's about. So a couple things in closing for you, our audience. Number one, if there are other texts, whether it's in the Gospels or in the Scriptures, that you want us to discuss, that you think, man, how do you rectify this? How do you understand this? This seems crazy to me. Or I have a hard time getting around this idea or how these things are different. Or if you're Drew Moss, if the flood was regional or global. Um, <laughs> some of those questions. Man, we do. We have done some podcasts on fishbowl texts. We'd love to throw those in the fishbowl and go after those. Secondly, um, and you can email Steve at sunnybrookcc.org or text us if you have our phone number. Ryan's phone number is <laughs> just kidding. 405-313-6081. He had to think for a second there. I never like, call whose phone myself. number is this? Uh, secondly, it is almost Lent. 
And for the Christian church people, they're either thinking, well, what is Lent? Or how dare you do this? Um, we are going to go into a season of Lent, and we're going to have a podcast on how we at Sunnybrook are trying to be more intentional with our observance of things on the church calendar, what we're going to be doing, uh, what it is. And also, we're going to be doing a podcast like this one, looking specifically at some of the differences in the resurrection accounts. So um, there are a lot of differences in the resurrection accounts and even in the crucifixion accounts. So um, how do we rectify some of those? Be looking for that. We love you, and hopefully we will see you soon.